Welcome everybody uh, to the podcast and Zoomcast to Hell and Back. Uh, this is a special meeting within that podcast. Uh, and it's in response to the passing away of uh, a dearly beloved uh, and hugely important person in the DBT world, uh, Harry Hoffman. Uh, so I'm going to introduce this by saying just a few words about Perry. I expect some people probably know a lot about her and probably could do a better job of this than me. And other people might, uh, might not know her so well, but uh, so I'll just get us a baseline. And, and then I, so I'm going to introduce that, why we're doing this and then what it's about. And then this is a conversation among four people, myself and three others that have all been, uh, worked closely with Perry. Hoffman for many years. So, um, so Perry, uh, just very briefly, it's hard to be brief because actually the four of us who are going to be talking today also went to a funeral services in New York for Perry uh, yesterday and they were with lots of people and her family and put a lot together and uh, so there's just, it's all very fresh. It's hard to do a summary of something that's so huge and it just happened, but I'll do the best I can. Perry was a, uh, when I began DBT on an inpatient program in about 1988, Perry was, happened to be through no special choice, but she happened to be the social worker, the senior social worker on that inpatient program. And that was the beginning of 30 years of her work in DBT, who could have known? Because Perry seemed like just sort of like I don't know. I didn't have, I guess I didn't have high expectations because I was just thrilled that I had a social worker who actually came to work and came to work on time. And if I asked her to do something, she just did it. And I thought, holy cow, this is great having an employee like this. Um, little did I know uh, from a cross-sectional analysis at that moment of who Perry was, that what the longitudinal analysis would be, which is this is a woman who would change the world. Uh, so she went on and learned uh, DBT. She went on and started to run uh, family groups with me, with our inpatient families. And then she went on. And, and so she went on uh, to do more family work. And, uh, and then she decided to get a PhD in social work. Then she did some research in, so in uh, expressed emotion with families. She went on and developed an organization starting in 2001, the NEA BPD, which was the, has the largest uh, organization in the, in the world, I think, for advocacy of borderline personality disorder, brought together experts, professionals, family members, clients, all kinds of people together. And so, and had conferences that, if you wanna find the best website for the best conferences that you, best resources you can get about borderline personality disorder, go to her website, NEABPD, which is borderlinepersonalitydisorder.com. So Perry then developed within NEABPD, she went on with Alan Frizzetti, who's one of the people on the conversation today. She went on to, uh, uh, to develop family connections, places in the mm -hmm. 72 countries. It's, uh, so Perry went on to do family connections and then two of the other two people who are gonna be on today, Marie, Paul and Beth have been doing family connections for many years with Perry. Uh, so they've worked really closely with her. And so, what happened is that uh, she was well in the middle of September, then she developed a rare neurological disease. 
and with a very rapid uh, uh, decline, uh, was not able to communicate as of two or three weeks ago, and then died on the weekend. It just all happened so fast that people who knew her well, and especially her family members, have just have to just be in complete shock because uh, it really she went from fully functional to uh, declining like that so fast. That's who Perry uh, has been. But what we're going to try to do here is make it uh, more fill out who she's been to us. Because I was going to do a podcast mm -hmm. on how death is not actually a dead end or need not be a dead end in general. I had lots of ideas about it. But then this happened. So that's, in a way, the general topic. But here, the more specific topic is to remember Perry and have reminiscences of her, and especially asking the question, what is gonna carry on in us, those of us who work closely with her? Because I think one of the reasons that death is not a dead end is that people go on in other people and they go on in the world in very meaningful ways. Perry is still gonna be carrying on for a very long time uh, in thousands and beyond that of people. So I just want to, um, it's sort of a, an intro, and I'd like to just start a conversation. I'd, I'd like to ask uh, Alan and Marie Paul and Beth each to just say a little about what your own connection with Perry has been. Uh, and then we're going to just start to turn it into a conversation of, you know, what do you carry with you because of Perry that might not have been true otherwise or that's accentuated in you because of her? So let me just ask Marie Paul if you would start because I actually can see you right now and I can't see everybody. <laughs> sure. So do, would you like me to start by saying a few words about how I met Perry? That's yeah. sort of Who central to. So um, I met Perry um, on May 2nd, 2008. Not that it was an important date or anything, but I remember the day. <laughs> and I met her. Um, I know it was that day because it was the day of the Yale conference. Uh, my daughter had just been discharged from the residential unit that she was in, and uh, we were we had been told about the Yale NEABPD conference. So I was still in shock um, uh, from a year of not understanding what had been going on, what had hit us. It felt like our entire family was like tossed in an incredible storm. And um, and I arrived at the Yale conference and I listened and learned. And when I walked out, there was Perry at the NEA table and said to me, and you know, I know that everybody talks about how Perry says it's a can do attitude, we can do it. Before the we can do it, there was the it's going to be okay. You know, that reassurance, it's going to be okay. And she had that power, right, of instilling trust and confidence and reassurance. And um, she then proceeded to tell me about family connections. I forget what came after that in that first meeting, but I remember the it's going to be okay. It felt like a raft had been thrown at me in the middle of this like storm. And I grabbed onto the raft and, you know, I knew it was going to be okay. And little did I know that through family connections, which my husband and I took just a few weeks later, uh, the raft would bring us close to shore. And um, that's how I met Perry. So for me, Perry is that raft. It's that sort of, you know, 
life-saving device that saved not only us, our family, but also in many ways, our child. And um, yeah, so wow. May 2nd, 2008, that was it. Wow, very personal connection. Very personal, very deep. And so then, you know, you talked about how does it affect us and how do we carry this on. You know, once you're at shore, you can sort of look back and see in the storm the other families who are bopping along and completely overwhelmed. And how do you not reach out? And that's the theme of your podcast. Right? Out of hell, how do you not look back and see other people in hell and pull them back as well? Mm. Mm. So that's that, that was, I mean, there's many other things that... But you've then worked with her ever since then, ever since 2008, so the last 11 years. Yes, yeah. in some way or another, except the last few months for family circumstances, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank you. Hey, Beth, would you introduce yourself and say a little about how you've known Perry? So um, I uh, first met Perry in my first re remembrance of meeting her is in 2000, 2012. And um, that was when I started to teach, to co-lead my first uh, Family Connections class with Marie Paul. And it was in a, a, a small room at McLean. And a couple hours before the class, uh, Marie Paul said to me, so, so Perry is coming to the class tonight. And I said, I said, Perry Hoffman is coming to the class tonight. And she said, she said, yes, is, is, uh, is that okay? And I thought, no, it's not okay because I don't know what I'm doing and I'll be nervous and uh, I feel a little ill right now. And uh, so anyway, the, the class went on. And at that point I was uh, trying to help co-lead the class with the large book in my lap and, um, and Perry, uh, Perry came in. I had, I had wondered all along who this mysterious woman was who was on all the emails and clearly so involved in everything and yet, and yet so behind the scenes. And so she came in with just so little fanfare and sat down um, right in the group. And within about five minutes, it felt like she was just one of the group. And uh, so we, you know, we went on with the class and uh, I, I, she was just so non-intimidating uh, and so easy to be with. And after the class, um, she, she said what I would come to know as one of her, a uh, couple of her favorite expressions was, which was, that was terrific. And, and what a team. What a team. And so <laughs> That's true. It, it was terrific or fabulous or, or often what a team. And uh, so that was my first um, experience with her. And uh, from there, you know, we had, we, she was such a mentor to me in terms of, um, uh, she was w really one of the first clinicians that I met who um, viewed me as possibly being not just part of the problem uh, with my with my son, but but maybe uh, part of the solution, and that um, I had in fact experienced some uh, traumatic things as well. And you know, over over the course of several years, I feel like she, along with others in NEA, because um, we are like a, uh, a a very powerful group, 
along with others, I think I feel like she lifted me up and gave me confidence to um, present in a room full of professionals where I felt like I, I, you know, initially had no place. And just that um, she felt so strongly that lived experience uh, of family members was such a powerful tool um, to get her message across. And she was always in the background and often would say, you know, at a meeting, she didn't really like to present. And, she, and at sort of at the last minute, sometimes she would look around and say, well, you, you can do this. Why don't, why don't you do this? <laughs> and, and you would think now, and she'd say, sure. And then somehow you would just do it and, uh, and it would be fine. And she had, you know, she had confidence in, in your ability and could transmit that and uh and that's what i that's what i saw to be true about her mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you hey alan could you jump in and tell us a little about your connection with perry uh, yeah absolutely um it's it's interesting because um uh i guess uh, in the mid 90s i was uh running a an outpatient dbt program uh, on the West Coast, and Perry, I think by that time was um, in charge of the the day hospital. I think Charlie, is that right? That's probably right. Like around that time, around like between ninety five, ninety six, something exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, she was, and she was doing some work to multifamily groups there. I was developing uh, parent groups and partner groups for family members, um, out West and Marsha, um, knew what each of us was doing and said, you know, you two ought to connect so you don't reinvent the wheel. And so, uh, I don't remember who called whom I'm, although I'm pretty sure Perry probably called me. This was before the internet was a big deal. Um, Perry hadn't yet owned a cell phone. It didn't exist in this country. Um, and so uh, we, we chatted a few times and talked about what we were doing and decided that we should for sure, um, you know, ally with each other and, and figure out how to not reinvent the wheel. And, and maybe we could get someone else besides just the two of us to do family work in DBT. Um, and so not long thereafter, I, I think she was, you know, I'm not sure I have the order on this right, but um, she was working on, a, on her A award uh, proposal and uh, phoned me and said she was really stuck really she said i'm not a researcher could i help her um and so i said sure so we spent a few saturdays just on the phone together developing a, a research plan and a and research design um and uh strangely enough uh, that was enough and it got funded and that was great um so i got then an opportunity to um got invited to teach at the cape cod institute which is one of those things you go to for a week in the summer and you you work until one in the afternoon and then everybody goes and plays on the beach and so perry and i did that together i don't know 97 or 98 and she brought her family to cape cod for a week i brought my family to cape cod we hung out and actually we had met a couple of times but really got to know each other better then and then we uh continue to, to work to develop our, our family DBT interventions. Uh, and then after she, then she with other people started NEABTD in 2002, 
pretty shortly thereafter invited me to join uh, within a couple of months. And so I did. Um, and then it was another question about, okay, so how are we going to do this thing with family? How are we going to extend this? This was, I think, part of the grant. And so we started meeting every week um, on the phone uh, to develop the Family Connections curriculum. Uh, her focus had prior been on psychoeducation and family problem solving. Mine had been on developing parent and partner skills. And so they actually all complemented each other, went together very nicely into this program. Um, I don't know how long we met every week. I mean, I, I do remember, uh, she said, we have to do this first thing in the morning so it doesn't interrupt our day. We can meet for an hour every, every week. And I said, sure, what's first thing in the morning? And she said, well, I don't know, it was 7.30 work. And I said, sure. I said, but you do realize I'm on Pacific time. Uh, she said, oh, I guess that won't work for you then in a kind of disappointed way. So uh, so then we met at 6 o'clock my time, 9 o'clock her time, I think probably just about once a week for maybe eight or eight months or something. And by then, we were really friends as well as colleagues and, uh, of course, launched Family Connections and um, and have been, you know, we were, she was just a dear friend all this time. And we did a lot of different projects together. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Thank you, Alan. Yeah. Um, let me make, let me jump in with a couple of things just to, to be moving into, I mean, what I really, you know, I set this podcast up and there's something very personal about this to me, not just about Perry, but in general about loss. Um, one of the ways that I've learned in my life to cope with loss, really important losses, including Perry being a very dear friend and someone that worked with me in Perry, Cindy Sanderson being a very dear friend, um, is to realize, to allow myself to be moved in a way from the inside to be affected by some of the characteristics and of of the person I lose and really cherish those things and they become somewhat part of me. And I noticed that a lot with my friend Cindy who had qualities of being incredibly uh, courageous and irreverent and smart and uh, just she had the strategy in teaching that I then started to adopt more. I didn't say it to everybody because it's irreverent, but it's the what the fuck strategy, which is when you're teaching and you have the thought of doing something, but you think, no, maybe I shouldn't just say to yourself, what the fuck and do it, you know, and then find out what happens. And she was really good at that. I became better at that and uh, and other things like that. And I've noticed with Perry, who's already affected me enormously over the past 30 years. And when I, especially as I reflect on it, I mean, Perry was the, she was the most willing person in working together that I've ever probably worked with. I mean, if, if you just said, and this has already been said by a couple of people, if you said, I don't know, Perry, like we, it came up a certain point where we were developing the DBT inpatient unit and we were all psychoanalytic types. And it's sort of like, then we realized talking to Marshall Linnett, oh, we have to learn cognitive behavioral therapy. And none of us knew it. And so we said, oh, how are we going to do that? And Perry said, well, let's set up a course. What do you mean set up a course? There's nobody on this campus that could teach us. She said, yeah, but there's got to be people in New York City. I would say within a week, Perry, 
just jumped ahead and she set up a course with five really crackerjack cognitive behavioral therapists associated with Cornell, which we were associated. And, and then she set up that we would have a van every week and take an entire day every week for two years, seven of us going into New York City and learning cognitive behavioral therapy and presenting cases and doing all kinds of things. And, and it's sort of like, how did this happen? But then it turned out that's her signature. I was often in positions where I would say, how did this happen? Oh, because Perry just heard it and said, well, let's do it. Oh, oh, you, you don't think we can do this? Well, then let's do it the other way. I mean, if she ran into an obstacle, I always found, and I really have been affected by this, and I think I'm gonna to continue to be affected. You know, she was like one of those ants that was trying to crawl up a sand pile and ran into an obstacle. If you've ever, you know, when I was a little kid, we played with ants and, and, and watch ants and we'd put sugar out and see if ants could get to the sugar. You know, they would just keep going. They'd hit an obstacle, then they'd just go around the obstacle or over it, or they'd burrow under it, or they'd get around. And sort of, I, that was my experience of Perry. And she has moved me in that direction more than was, more than was my natural tendency to do that. She was just a willing person and an effective person. Uh, and, and, and with always leading with compassion about who she was going to work with, you know, so those are, those are just some of the things that I, I, I know are staying with me and that I saw on display in meeting her family yesterday somewhat and talking about what she was like as a mom, uh, and some about that. So, Hey, I just, I just want to leave off there and let any of the other three of you jump in with just kind of like, how has Perry affected you? Want to go, Alan, or I'm happy to. Oh, go oh, ahead. Go okay. ahead, Marie. Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, you know, I observed. I I I was flabbergasted often um, at at how Perry got so much accomplished, and the first um, the first couple of years, um, she seemed. To, you know, I I it, I joined the board about a year and a half after the board of NEA BPD, about a year and a half after meeting. Perry, and I, you know, everything that she seemed to touch seemed to sort of work and work out. And she seemed to know everybody. And very quickly, I realized that she had a, a particular gift for remembering people's names. And, uh, and that's a gift mm. I, I don't have. I mean, I, I'm not really missing it, but she, she had that gift. She would meet people maybe not one time, but two or three times. And she would, she would remember meeting people five years ago and telling me, uh, oh, but we met this person at this other conference, remember? She, she really connected with people. So that's, that's really a, a gift and it's hard to acquire when you don't have it. But um, she was the ultimate risk taker. You know, nothing stopped her. And she was so unassuming that I think it's hard to think of Perry as a risk taker. But um, she didn't let things stand in her way. She just sort of, you know, um, the dialectical balance of that is if something didn't work, she didn't stay stuck on it. She just sort of moved on. You know, she, she tried a little bit more, but um, she didn't sort of, you know, dump things. But she didn't let things sort of slow her down. She didn't get stuck on anything. So here she was knowing people finding opportunities, looking for opportunities, 
um, putting all her effort, resources, and knowledge and connections behind that opportunity. And if it didn't work, go to the next one. And there was always like a, you know, if you Googled in Perry's brain opportunities, there was always like a million pages. There were lots of, so this is what I learned. I think I learned um, to be more of a Perry's brand of risk taker and, um, and to not let things, not let the details get in the way too much, you know, uh, move on, get things done. Don't, don't get stuck on things. Marie Paul, I want to jump in and respond yeah. to, if that just touches on something, I'll just briefly say when Perry was at the inpatient program and she was a social worker and she and I did a little work together with families and, and she was part of the senior staff. So she was very involved. Then we designed a day, day treatment program and then she became part of that. But along the way somewhere, she said, uh, she would ask me to look at things she wrote, like reports, because she actually was not a good writer. I mean, I'd, I hate to say that, as she's got children and grandchildren that might listen to this, and so I hope I'm not really blaspheming anybody. But honestly, I would read these and say, oh my God. Because she would say, I'm not a good writer, Charlie, could you edit this? And I would read it, I would edit it, and, and she'd say, thank you, and I'd think, Wow, you know, she, she's come a long ways for some. And then one day she says, oh, I'm going for a PhD. And I said, oh my God. I mean, you realize you have to write a dissertation? She said, yeah. I said, how are you gonna do that? She said, I don't know, I'll get it done. I'll probably get some help. It's like, wow, like this woman who actually doesn't like public speaking, spoke a thousand times but she would speak for five or 10 minutes and introduce other people and give credit to everybody else but herself. And then she would write things, including major published research with a major researcher, Jill Hooley, about families and expressed emotion. She just kept going. It was like that kind of thing. Like she, she not only didn't let the world outside her stop her, she didn't let the deficits inside her stop her. She just found a way. So to me, I just think, how many limitations I feel myself and just think, okay, Charlie, just, you can do it. Perry could do it. Or if I talked to Perry, she would have said, Charlie, just, you can do it. You can do it. I mean, so that, that really just bouncing off of something you said. It's going to be okay. You can do it. It's going to be okay. That was, that's always another thing. Yeah. You can yeah. Do, and you can do it. Yeah. 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 Alan or Beth, do you want to jump in with any of how of, 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 of what goes on inside you that came from Perry? Um, one thing I was just thinking about that is that, you know, she also taught me that uh, just by the way that she was, that you can have a really strong, um, powerful, um, important message that you're really determined to deliver. And the dialectic is that, at, you know, at the same time, you can, the way that you deliver it can be very quiet and always polite and always with grace and dignity, which is, I feel like what she embodied. Um, and you can be really effective that way. So I think, you know, I think the world could use a lot more of that right now. And that's something that I saw, uh, I saw her to be. You know, I think, um... I, I agree. Uh, you know, there's, so there's a saying uh, that you know all politics is local, uh, and I think the Perry version of that that's had an enormous impact on me is that um, all change is relational. Um, the reason I think that Perry could get so much done 
is because she took each person seriously and endeavored to make that person empowered to do things that not that they didn't want to do, but things that they wanted to do, but maybe thought they couldn't do or thought that would be too difficult or they wouldn't have enough help and so forth. Yeah. So that I think has had an impact on me, not just in my understanding, but also my willingness to assume that uh, reason's not enough. You have a good reason, a good argument. It's not enough to get people to do things. You actually have to connect with them and understand it from their perspective and empower them uh, to move on things. So uh, I think that's had a big impact on me. I was trying to uh, develop about two and a half years ago. I wanted to put a course online for free about DBT skills because I just know how many people don't have any money that want the skills or don't have places where they can go for groups. And so I thought I'll put something out there and I was researching teaching platforms online, which I knew nothing about. And in the middle of that, I had a conversation with Perry. I told her what I was doing. She said, Charlie, why don't you just do a podcast? She said, like, they're simple. Like, just put the phone to your ear and start talking. I'll arrange it. Really? That's all I have to do? Yeah, just go, you know, sit wherever you want to be and talk. You're a good talker. You can just talk. You know, it'll be fine. Uh, the same thing. It'll be okay, and you can do it, which are two big messages that kept coming from her. And so, uh, lo and behold, two and a quarter years later, I'm still doing podcasts. And with the person who helps me that was her website designer, and now is my website designer. So, you know, she's all over the place. Sure. And she loved the podcast too. She would, I know that she would, uh, she was downloading them and listening to them in her car. She, she really enjoyed the podcast. You know, she had about, most of us get somewhere between like 12 and 16 hours a day of waking time. She seemed to get about 23 hours, I swear to God. You could write her at four in the morning and expect to hear later. And she'd write you back. I think, really? Like, what do you go direct? So she had that quality of, of not only encouraging willingness, but she was somehow available uh, late at night, in the morning, on an airplane, in another country, and all these things. So it was very, quite moving. And the, 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 the flip side of that was that sometimes um, she would she would say, well, I, I emailed him an hour ago and I haven't got a response. What do you think is wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and we would say, well, well, maybe it's lunch, Perry. Maybe it's just lunch. And she'd say, mm. oh, okay. Maybe they're asleep. <laughs> they're asleep. Well, you know, Charlie, this is, you would hear from her at all times of day or night. Um, but because you were not on the board, the NEA active board member, the rest of us, when we would wake up in the morning around 6.30 or 7.00, we had our marching orders for the day from Perry that had been sent at 4.30 or 5, you know, and there were or one or two. four emails, right? Now, look, I want to say something. You might think, those of you who don't know her, and I didn't know this about her until yesterday at, the, at these services, is that how could she be this obsessed with work and still have a family of three children, a husband, and seven grandchildren spread across the United States between Los Angeles and Dallas and New York. And what we learned yesterday, I already knew in general, but nothing like this. Just note this little detail and extrapolate from this and imagine how did she do it. She had these seven grandchildren, and she didn't like to miss a ball game. 
or a gymnastics meet or a graduation or anything. And so in a seven year period, somebody added up the number of trips to Dallas. In the seven year period of, um, in Dallas, she, went, she made uh, 69 plane flights to Dallas. So 10 a year. So 10 times a year, she's flying to Dallas and that doesn't count Los Angeles. Uh, or her kid in her kids in uh, in New York. So it was quite something. Quite how she did it was. Uh, I think that it had something to do with what you were saying earlier, Marie Paul. I think that or Beth that her capacity to get things done uh, efficiently and uh, without as much interference as most of us have was really impressive. I mean, when we ran our very first DBT skills groups on our inpatient unit. Uh, we had three groups going all the time. We had 18 patients, so we would have six in a group, and we would conduct the groups at the same time, and then we would compare notes afterwards because we were just learning to teach the skills. So Cindy Sanderson and I taught one of the groups. A Perry taught a group with a psychiatrist who used to run the unit named Ann Applebaum, uh, and then there was one other group. So we would finish, and then we'd go into our little rehash, and Cindy and I would say, oh, my God, we tried to teach this skill, dear man, or this teach skill, radical acceptance, but we only got halfway through it, and we ran out of time. And then we'd ask, and how did it go for you? And Perry would say, I don't know. We were, we were done, and, and we still had another half hour to go. Said, what? How did you do that? She'd say, well, it didn't seem that complicated. We just taught it, and they seemed to really like it. And her group was the happiest group in the bunch. It's like, how did she do that? It was. So that too has affected me to just realize um, how efficiency, I mean, how you, I, do, I still don't know how to do that. I've never, I've never run a workshop where even one of my teaching segments didn't uh, feel like I, I, I didn't have enough time, uh, but she did have enough time. She didn't have enough time at the end of her life, but she did have enough time. But I think for all the work, she was still, you know, she was a fun person. She really knew how to have fun because, I, and I think she taught me, you know, too, how to find joy in just really simple things. And so, I mean, when we traveled, one of her favorite to conferences, one of her favorite things to do was to get on the, those hop on, hop off tourist buses that take yeah. you down. And she just loved that. We'd hop on and just ride around and hop off and <laughs> hop back on it. And, and she just thought that was the greatest thing ever. And yeah. uh, I, I, did, I mean, I remember once I brought her back some, uh, some chocolate, just a chocolate bar from Switzerland. And you would have thought, you know, I brought her back a diamond bracelet or something. I mean, she just was so happy with really um, simple things. So. Yeah, I remember at the, at the funeral services yesterday when they were talking about how her favorite thing in life was to have all seven grandchildren in her house, all of them sleeping in her room, all of them in sleeping bags. Uh, and uh, so, so there was this uh, ability to be as if she's in life, but she's actually just camping all the time. You know, she's <laughs> hiking around and camping. I had this impression of her being so, uh, spending so much time giving all of herself to any end more hours than any one of us and then I discovered that she had this entire other parallel life which I never doubted of course but with her husband and her entire family 
and the devotion that she gave to that must have meant that it was so i think i think perry was somebody who had 48 hours in a day i mean yeah. she lived parallel incredibly full lives and and was able to pull it off and it's you know what alan says she's a magician she because she could do it i, I it frequently was, called her that yes yeah. yes because she could bend time that way uh, one of the, the the things that I did that frustrated her the most that she eventually came to accept was that I don't have my mail, my email on my phone. And this drove her crazy. <laughs> um, yes. So eventually she just took up texting with me. <laughs> <laughs> she 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 moved herself down to your standards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and she and she did actually I think fully accept it because she stopped bugging me. I don't know, maybe I don't know, several many years ago she stopped bugging me about this. Yeah. But she would chide me terribly because I was, you know, the last person in uh you know, last employed person who could afford it who didn't have uh a smartphone. <laughs> I went to the smartphone world being dragged and screaming, didn't want it. And uh and I still refuse to put my my mail on it. So I you know I just have to have some order in my life. So uh, but she tolerated it okay. Well and as we heard yesterday from the fam the families of her <laughs> children of her children and their children is that she was in some at some moments not a helpful person to have around the table when the parents were trying to get the kids mm -hmm. to shut their phones down. That was so then, easy and, to and imagine. The, yeah. And the kids are saying, but grandma's doing it. <laughs> and, then, and she would stop for five minutes and then do it again. So yeah. she was, uh, that is multitasking. Yes. She could multitask. Huh. So, hey, wait, I, I'm, thinking, I'm sorry, Charlie. I'm thinking know, about something, Alan. So wait, you said no to Perry? This is one area in which somebody said no to Perry and was able oh, to. That's... Well, she never actually asked me. She just was always yeah. saying, how can you not have, how can you have your, not have your mail on your phone? I it would see. be so much easier to know that you're getting things right away. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> it's true. You know what she said to me that was similar uh, maybe three years ago. She said, Charlie, why aren't you on Twitter? <laughs> I said, <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that. I mean, I don't know how why I'm not on Twitter. Why would I be on Twitter? And she said, because then when you have your workshops, which you advertise independently, like you would build up a, a to where that would be your best way to advertise anything you're doing. People need to know. You got to get on Twitter. So I went on Twitter enough to get a Twitter handle, I think it is. And I still have that, but I've never used it. So I wish she were around to get me to the next step here. Like, I guess it's a good thing to have, but I, I was afraid of it. You know, it was just too much for me. <laughs> hey guys, some of you might know if you've been in work with me at all, or even on the podcast in the past, that I, one of the ways I cope with concepts and feelings I find that one of my best ways of trying to bring together thoughts and feelings is to write songs and then to sing them. So I wrote one for this. I wrote one for Perry. Actually, I put it out on the listserv today because I realized a lot of people just might want to know. It's, uh, and so I thought I'd sing it. It's about like two and a half or three minutes. So bear with me. Because it actually has woven in it now that I hear us talking a lot of the same ideas. So here we go. I don't have it memorized. I'll just warn you. 
She hid out in the shadows. She shied away from lights. She paid no mind to power. She didn't get in fights. Focus like a laser on the vision in her eye of alleviating suffering until she said goodbye. How could she have done it to so many be so kind while her husband, kids and grandkids never left her mind? She touched on so many thousands who are touching thousands more. With all of us, she truly was a teacher to the core. She isn't in the shadows. She isn't in the sun. She carries on inside us, each and every one. If you think of something good to do, but fear is in the way, just know that Perry says to you, we can find a way. She isn't in the shadows. She isn't in the sun. She carries on inside us, each and every one. So just thought I'd put that out there. If you, if you wanted to know that or hear that or write it down, if it was meaningful to you, I sent it out on the DBT listserv. And if anybody else wanted me to, I guess I could put, I'll have Mark help me just put it on the website. Uh, that'd be an easy way for people to access it. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah, yeah you're, welcome. Nice. Wonderful. you're welcome. You know, I was thinking that it's, sorry, Alan, I, oh, really ahead. quickly, I was thinking that, you know, it's odd to not have her on here with us on Zoom. You know, her name was always, either she was there or, but, and that is so relevant to your song. She's, you know. She loved those songs. I mean, that actually, she encouraged me. I mean, so it, I became increasingly brazen and uh, unresponsive to criticism you know, because Perry would just say, Charlie, they're great. Just do it. Just do it. You know, and so uh, because she hosted something that a lot of, you know, was a Sunday night call in series that went on forever. And uh, so the first time I did stuff like that with her, it was uh, her, uh, Kelly Kerner and I would go on on Sunday nights and talk for an hour. Um, and Perry just loved it and she loved everything about it. And she would get, she, you yeah. know, she'd, she'd call, contact me afterwards and talk to me about it and say, oh, I really love that. So, you know, she was, she was the master of positive reinforcement in the most effective ways. In a way related to that, um, I think it's, you know, maybe it's worth mentioning that um, I think that to be, balanced or dialectical, as we say, um, you know, for her, the, the, the upside was that she was so able and willing to tune into other people and help them uh, and empower them and uh, really just provide an enormous amount of warmth and support that I think sometimes that made it very difficult for her to uh, to be an equal in those relationships. I think that she was, you know, uh, she had her own, of course, things in life that were distressing and difficult, and um, uh, and I know that it it took it, it it took a few years of me knowing her before she would, with some prodding, actually talk about her own the complexities of her life, not just the aspirations and and the things we need to do and the the posit positive moving forward parts, 
um, I, everybody knows this, but I think it's important to acknowledge she, you know, she had her frustrations and sadnesses and uh, misgivings and worries, just like everybody else. Um, she just managed them more privately than most, um, mostly for better, although I imagine occasionally not uh, from time to time. Yeah, Ellen, I, I had a conversation. I know you know her kids better than I do. I knew them about when they were teenagers, mm -hmm. just a little bit when I had my, my own son was one years old and I was at her house um, and uh, met them and could not imagine that my one year old was going to turn into a teenager someday. Now it's beyond that. But um, uh, but she, um, oh, I just lost what I was going to say. What was I just saying? Something about her kids and her. Oh, oh yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, that was it. Sit. Thank you. Because uh, last evening, uh, when uh, they were sitting Shiva and we were at the house of one of her sons, um, and I had a conversation with her daughter, uh, and I said, you know, something about your mother. You know, seemed she just had such a steady. Uh, capacity to be there and be present and be uh, empathic and non-judgmental and stuff like that. I said there must have been moments when she was judgmental. You're her. You're she was your mom, right? I mean, I had a mother like that actually, but I and I was one of the few people that knew some of the things my mother would now and then say that were just like off color. Like, are you kidding? This very religious Christian woman who's always that way. And so I asked her. I asked the daughter, and Rennie said, uh, "Yeah, well, you know, I." My mom, the, the, what I came across to me was, my mom and I were best friends. I mean, she talked to me about everything. So I knew the other side of things, you know, I knew. And so you have to, you have to assume, just what you're saying, Al, I'm glad you brought it in, that she made everything seem easy and go well, but actually she had to cope with everything. She had children, she had grandchildren, she had problems going on, she had a marriage, she had, different jobs. I mean, so it was very complicated. So that's part of why I'm sort of uh, find her a mystery and, and somebody to learn from. Um, how did she do that? I'm, I just, I feel like by comparison to her, I'm like, all of my problems are falling out of me all the time. It's like, <laughs> I just wish I could have learned to button some of them up a little better. Well, I think, I think what, for me, at least what made, what one of the many things that made Harry, a dear friend, was that, you know, I don't know, you know, 20, more than 20 years ago, I said, she was asking me about my kids, and I said, okay, I'll tell you about my kids, but you have to tell me about yours. Oh. And, um, and she just looked at me and smiled, and we didn't ever have that conversation again. And, and so I, I got the dope on stuff, and, you know, um, and, and, I, and I think she, you know, she, her family life really was remarkable. Uh, it's not that there's some skeleton to uncover here. It's the ordinary worries, you know, somebody's sick or, you know, something happened, uh, you know, her brother died, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of parts. Um, so, uh, but I think she was, she never looked for that. I think she would receive it a little reluctantly and then would allow it. Um, I don't think she ever looked for support very much in other mm. people mm. first. She gave it so much. When she told me that her daughter was moving to Dallas, which based on her oh, grandson's yeah. 
um, testimony yesterday or, or a speech yesterday, it's a long time ago, it feels like it was just three or four years ago. But when she told me this, I, I, I knew how close she was to all her family members then. And I said, Perry, this, this must be so hard for you. And she looked me straight in the eye and she said, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to not speak about it. And that was the end of that conversation. Oh, and then the... two or three weeks later, <laughs> I asked her how she was doing and was she all right? And she said, I'm totally fine. We know what we're going to do. We're going to travel there and we're going to be there every week, every weekend if we need to be. And she right. was back to being fine. Right. So she just sort of like. Right. Well, that was the conversation I had too. I, I said, how, you know, how was she doing with this? And by that point, it was probably a week later. She said, they have airplanes. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and she made good use of them. So, yeah, she wow, really, she really did. The other thing about her um, that I can share, she spoke. She spoke, of course, adoringly of her children and grandchildren, but she spoke um, really with with great um, with great power about her children when they made uh, choices that sort of went along with strong moral values that maybe revealed who they were. You know, when um, one of her children chose um, to uh, chose a career that kept him near home rather than um, be away from his family, um, that was that was really meaningful to her. And when another one of her children chose a career that really sort of worked for them better than the career that they were in. That was very meaningful to her. Um, and that's when she expressed most pride, not so much in their um, accomplishments as they might be judged by other people, but in those choices that they made, um, that where her pride shone the most. Hmm. I saw another thing about her that maybe you guys already know, but uh, because I knew more her house that she had in Rye, New York, and then she moved to Mamaroneck some years ago. And I hadn't been to the Mamaroneck house. And, uh, and I, I was meeting with a team of four people who are a DBT team that I consult to sometimes. And they, we were all meeting in the New York area because that was sort of in between where we all live. And uh, we didn't have a place to meet. So what do I do? I called Perry. Uh, said, Perry, you have any idea where we could meet? She said, of course, my house. And uh, said, oh, I won't be there, but here's where the key is. And you can go there and then I'll be there, but I won't interrupt your meeting and all of this kind of stuff that's typical Perry stuff. And then we all got there and we met out on this porch and we looked at her place, which overlooks Long Island Sound. And there's a boat out there and a, and a lovely patio porch. And uh, she got there and I just hadn't seen her do this this often because she was always other focused on other people, but she looked out at the water and uh, you could just tell she was just loving this view. I'm just sitting there and she said, you know, sometimes every night Bruce and I just get in the boat and go out there. And she said, I just love it here. I just, you could tell that even though she was not the kind of person who is so self-sacrificing that she's incapable of pleasure herself. She's like she loved it, the way she loved, uh, you know, the chocolate you, you brought her, Marie Paul, and things like that. I mean, she actually took a lot of pleasure in that stuff, which I really was appreciate, which I appreciated because it actually helped me just sit there and think, yeah, this is gorgeous. This is just the present a real, moment. A real person, a real person. A real Freedom person, yeah. absolutely. She's no superstar. She is super at what she does, but you know what? She's, you could just see, she's a little girl. 
and she loves things, you know, and she loves having sleepovers and she loves chocolate and she loves the water and all of this stuff. So it's a very nice way to put more of her together. Um, yeah, that was an interesting story uh, of Alan about her, uh, how she would be private about her children. I, I, I knew she was that way, but I never really had that kind of conversation with her. I did with Cindy Sanderson, who was very, very private about her homosexuality. And I would ask her, and because we spent a ton of time together driving to New York City to watch the New York Knicks play at Madison Square Garden with our season tickets. And we would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And then I realized, I don't know a thing about her. So I, I said to Cindy, driving one time when we were stuck in traffic on the West Side Highway, I said, Cindy, I just want to tell you, I've never, I don't know anything about your personal life and you know everything about mine this is not right we're friends right she said, yeah we're friends it doesn't require like coughing up everything i said it's not any everything i don't even know like who you live with or whether you have a partner or whether you like i don't know anything she said well that's fine i said well it's not fine with me it's totally not fair and then after a while she said all right what do you want to know and i said like do you live with somebody? She said, all right, I'm gonna answer one question, all right? I live with somebody. Oh, well, can you say about anything about who? That's all I'm telling you, Charlie. She said, come on, we're like best friends. Well, no, she said, um, all right, I'll tell you one. I said, is it a man or a woman? I live with a woman. Oh, all right, that's interesting. Have you lived a long time with a woman? Yes, many years. You're asking way too many questions. <laughs> I said, no. But I mean, like, okay, I could leave it there. I mean, well, let me ask you this. Like, is it a relationship relationship? And she said, look, I'll tell you one thing and then we're done. I live with a lesbian. And that was it. <laughs> that was huge progress. But I, you know, if I had had that conversation with Perry, it wouldn't have been at all like that. She would have it would it been would, easier. It would have been, as they say in the current political debate, a quid pro quo. You know, like <laughs> we would have we would have exchanged information. It would have been a lot easier. Yeah, you had to ask, but but she was otherwise easily focused on other people. Oh. And also, everybody observes their own limits. Right. Yeah. Right. You, you have to, you, you know, you have to respect that. Um, yeah. yeah. Look, um, we're right at, right at the end of, of this time. And I noticed that a lot of people listened live and this will also be available for people who didn't listen live. But I, to me, I don't know. One of the main reasons I did this was very personal. I wanted to have a conversation with people about Perry um, and who really love Perry. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for organizing it, Charlie. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having the idea, Charlie. I think that um, you know this concept of uh, people live on, and they live on through their actions, and they live on in us, and then we get to pass it on is is wonderful. No, that is not a dead end. That that's is not. Right. That's right. We go on. You know. We do. We do. I've I've been following teachings lately by Thich Nhat Hanh, who is in this process of dying in Vietnam. And uh, it's very much this idea that actually it's not an ending. 
it is a transformation. It is a different moment. It is a different stage. But Perry's very much alive in this conversation, in this whole thing. And she's going to continue to be alive in every NEA BPD meeting and every Family Connections meeting and lots of other things that we do. And of course, in her children. And now we have, and now we have a song as well. <laughs> now we have a song, right? We have a, song, a, Perry. Right, a, a Perry song. A Perry take it, song. Take it to NEA. You can take it to Family Connections. <laughs> Hey, look, thank you, everybody. Uh, I hope that this was interesting for people. And uh, yeah, uh, so um, like I said, if anybody wants to give any feedback about this, uh, just respond to it or say something about it, feel free to email me at c.robert.swenson at gmail.com or through my website, you can send an email. And, uh, I, and I'll pass those things on to the other people who are talking, you know. So be well, everybody. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're thank welcome. Thank you. Thank okay. you, Charlie. All right. Take good Bye. care. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.